My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. It is uh, exciting to think about the fact that we're that much closer to Christmas. Uh, and, you know, in one week it will kind of all be over. I don't know what your tradition is of putting the lights up. Ours is always kind of the day after Thanksgiving. But uh, what about taking them down? How many of you take them down like the next day? Any, any Grinches here? Scrooges? No. Okay. All right. A couple. How about like you leave them up for a week? Anybody? How many leave them up till your homeowners association sends you the threatening letter? Yeah. Uh, we all have different traditions when it comes to Christmas and some like celebrating with lights and things out in the front yard and the things. I saw a really cool video of a, of a bear cub attacking one of these big inflatable things. It was the cutest thing until mama showed up and the lady taking the video wisely left. But you know, some people do the big snow globes and it's kind of fun. Christmas is an amazing season and about 80, I've got it written down, 82% of countries around the world actually celebrate Christmas. So most of the countries around the world have some kind of traditions. And so I went out looking and wondering, what are the different things? Because, you know, here I grew up in the United States, Midwest, California, West Coast. And, and so we have kind of certain traditions. But different countries have fascinating traditions. So in Japan... As a nation, they don't celebrate Christmas, right? They're not a Christian nation in that sense. But they do celebrate on Christmas Day the Christmas bird, which is a bucket of KFC. Did you know that? And it started in the 80s, and it was this thing in KFC with marketing. They were so brilliant. And now Colonel Sanders dresses up in Santa, and you can go, and people get KFC buckets delivered. That's their Christmas experience. I don't think there were any chickens at the first nativity set, but we'll give them that, right? In Germany, they have one particular thing. Now, they, the Germans invented the Christmas tree. Martin Luther brought it in. So there's a lot of Germanic history with that. But if you're German or German descent, you have a very interesting ornament. Anybody know what that is? It's a pickle. Exactly. You guys have a pickle? I know Pastor Aaron has a pickle. All right. It's like, I don't know if it's real, if it's dill. If it, I don't know what it is, but it's, a, it's an ornament of a Christmas pickle. After service, please explain that to me if you're able to. I'd like to know that. In Bolivia, they have a belief that it was the rooster that first announced the birth of Christ. And so they bring roosters in, which is messy and loud and I'm pretty sure obnoxious because we used to have roosters. In Serbia, this is, I, I, I had to double check this. They have the most bizarre Christmas tradition. Two Sundays before Christmas Day, 
they take their mother and they tie her up to a chair and they only set her free once she's paid a, paid a ransom with Christmas gifts. Isn't that weird? That's, don't try that, kids. Seriously. We have laws in our country about things like that. In Slovakia, this is awesome. Dads, please, I encourage you to try this. Let me know how it went. The head of the family takes a spoonful of the Christmas meal and slings it up on the ceiling so it can stick. Isn't that kind of fun? Not even close, no. Here's one. I like this one. In Ireland, children, when they set out treats for Santa, do not set out milk and cookies. You know what they set out? They set out mincemeat pie and... Guinness. That's right. A glass of Guinness, which I'm sure Santa drinks happily, right? Okay. Um, we love it. We love our Christmas traditions. The Gleasons, Mary Beth and I, uh, we started this tradition of lights because we just like all that season. I want to show you some of the things that we've done. We used to go out to Roy. Anybody ever go out to Roy back in the day? That was awesome Christmas lights. They don't have those. We went to Peacock Lane a number of times with our boys. Peacock Lane is a beautiful place in Portland. Uh, we've, you know, some of our boys have done the Christmas ships. You can see the Christmas ships. That's a really beautiful way to celebrate the lights. We've walked through the Oregon Zoo lights a couple times. You can drive through that. We've walked through it. Back in that day, I had a little Sony camera before the smartphone came out, and uh, I learned a trick. Take a look at this. Look at this next. If you take, put it on a three-second timer, and then you flip it up in the air, it takes a picture, and it looks like that. Don't try that with your smartphone, please, okay? But it was kind of cool. So I was flipping the camera. Never dropped it, but it was fun. So I got that at the Zoo Lights. Then we uh, ended up at PIR. Everybody had done PIR. I mean, for most of us, that's the only time we're going to drive on the track at PIR at the raceway. That's really cool. Uh, we've done the Grotto Festival of Lights. Anybody been to the Grotto and hear the choirs sing? That's a beautiful place over there by the airport. Uh, Storybook Lane. Anybody remember that out in Dilly Way? Okay, every other year they would have that. That was a lot of fun. It was all like Mother Goose and nursery rhymes and finding the 101 Dalmatians in the midst of Charlie Brown Christmas. I'm not sure how that all fit, but it was a lot of fun. Our boys loved it. We also did the lights of the Grove outside Forest Grove. That's cool. House has animated lights. And last year we did Lightopia, which is in Hillsboro at the stadium. Uh, this is kind of a brand new thing. Anybody? I guess it's all sold out. Anybody done Lightopia? That was kind of fun. It was interesting last year when we did it, as we we're driving through, you have to dial your, you know, your station into a certain frequency. Just as we were getting into Lightopia, it switched to a Christian radio station that was playing Christmas songs. We're like, I like this one. This is kind of cool. All right. And so it was kind of fun. That's a Hillsborough tradition now. And I love lights so much that I put them around my home. I put white lights around my home. This is our backyard. And all around the front of our house, lights go on a timer. I like lights. And I put them white so they're like normal throughout the year, right? And uh, so I like lights. This last week, me and a couple friends uh, work, and we were down in Ashland. And I'd never been at Ashland at Christmas. Have you been to Ashland at Christmas? Yeah. It's not Leavenworth, but it's pretty cool. Take a look at this. The whole city is lit up. The buildings, all the edges of the architecture lit up. Uh, the pass had gotten snowed, and so trucks were on the road, and we had to get off an exit early. And, um, and so we're driving all the way through Ashland. We drove miles through that. It was just absolutely beautiful. I love lights at Christmas time. The funny thing is, is that in a couple days, we're going to experience the winter solstice. And the winter solstice is the darkest time of the year, when we have the fewest number of hours of light. And it becomes really dark. And then after that, it slowly gets brighter, right? And we get into spring and summer. We have a solstice there, the longest day of the year, the shortest day of the year. I think that's really typical of winter. 
Um, winter can be a dark time. I know I've gone through depression before. I've gone through that seasonal affected disorder, the sad. Anybody kind of, you know, have that? It's kind of tough, right? Uh, I got one of those Costco happy lights that light up and everything like that. My wife's been so efficient at packing because we're moving into South Hillsboro in a month and uh, I can't find my happy light. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's just, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. It's my smartphone up to my eyes. I'm not sure. But uh, it can be a really dark time. Winter can be a dark season. It can be a depressing time. And I think the last couple years with COVID has added to that. I'm reading a book right now put up by the Barna Research Institute, and they're talking about the loneliest season that we're in. And loneliness has been epidemic in our culture, in our nation, uh, but even more so the last couple years. And the proliferation of being online and people, you know, obviously we're all kind of online at work. And I go in one day a week in Portland and one day a week here, and we do the rest of it through phone or Zoom. And, and you know, after you get over that hate of Zoom, you know, you kind of just do it. But it creates a loneliness, a loneliness in us. We long for community. We long for gathering. I was teasing Mary, but we were at her house the other night. Thank you so much, Mary, for opening up your house for Christmas there. And just good to be with people. We walked in and saw people we knew, and most of them we liked, you know. And uh, no, I'm just teasing Dean was there. I, I, like, I like Dean. And, um, and, and it was fun to just be with people. And yet it's a dark season. And I love the story of Christmas because there's an element of light. We don't know when Christmas actually was. We celebrate on December 25th. Could have been more in the spring or summer. But when you think about the darkness of the world, and the darker the world gets, the lighter the bright of the sun or of the Christmas lights or of the car lights seems to be or of your light. The light shines brightest when it's dark and we're in a dark season. You think about the shepherds, the story of the shepherds we saw last week, Pastor Shane preached that this idea of the light show, right? The angels showed up and there was light and it was glorious. If you saw the chosen Christmas special, you know, when Joseph looked out the window, it was this glorious light dancing and and, and you think about that light shining there and then the special light, right? We're looking at the wise men today and they saw a light, right? They saw a star and that star guided them to Jesus. And so I just want to talk about that today in our time together. The Bible talks a lot about light. Light's a major theme. I want to read a couple verses to you. In 1 John 1, 5, John says, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. In fact, the very first command God gave in creation was let there be light. And there was light. There had just been darkness, right? Jesus himself said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And that's the very reason of the Christmas season. And then in John twelve forty six, he said it more clearly. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in darkness. And so he's not just talking about physical light. When he talks about being the light of the world, you know, he's not just a little glow in the dark Jesus kind of thing. You stick on your dash. He brings light to our very lives, to our soul, to our mind, to our heart, to our understanding that Jesus has come to take the darkness in our life. The, the stuff that's, that's discouraging, the stuff that's broken, the stuff that we want to shove down into even darker corners so that it never shows up in the light. He wants to fill us with light. And that's a beautiful part of Christmas because when you think about that first Christmas, light was a theme there. And I don't know what your Christmas is like. I don't know if it's snuck up on you 
or if you've been aware of it, or if you started it in September like some of the stores did, you know. But I think Christmas is an awesome season to stop and consider this. In the dark places of our life, the light shines bright, and Jesus wants to show up. And if you're looking for it, and if you see it, and you see it not as a glaring, kind of alarming light, but as a warm, attractive kind of glow that draws you to it, you will discover the deeper meaning and understanding of Christmas. You know, we sing a song about these guys, and uh, it's, it's We Three Kings, right? And it says, We Three Kings of Orient are. Something about smoking a rubber cigar or something like that. I forget how the junior hires sing it. But We Three Kings of Orient are, and we really don't know that. We don't know that there were three. There were three gifts, and we'll see. We don't know that they were kings, they were wise men, and we don't know where they really were from. The Orient, maybe, we don't really know. And so we have a lot of traditions about these guys. In fact, we have so much tradition about the wise men that later on in the Middle Ages, they gave names to them. And if you search hard enough, you will find their tombs, okay, (laughs) that people worship at and they built churches over. But let's strip away all the traditions and let's ask the question, who in their right mind would go worship a baby? People that were very intelligent, people that were very leaders, very wealthy, who would travel that great distance to go worship a child? Seems kind of crazy, right? Well, we know they were searching for truth and they saw the star and they found it. Now, we really don't know who they were. We know the Bible calls them magi. And the best understanding we have of magi is like an astronomer, astrologer, philosopher, scientist. So they were kind of uh, advisors to the kings. You know, if you go back in the Old Testament book of Daniel, you see these people. That would have been Daniel, who was a magi. He was someone that gave advice to the king, and he was very perceptive, and he knew wisdom. Now, he got it from God, okay? God visited him with these visions and understandings of dreams. But magi were the wise men of the age. They were the presidential council. They were the advisors to the king. They were very educated. They would have been very wealthy and very influential. Now, the Bible says they came from the East. And so scholars, you know, they kind of understand that the best guess on this one is they probably came from Persia. They probably were the descendants of the Jewish remnant that stayed in Babylon, that were there, that studied all these things, like the Daniels and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were those people that decided not to come back uh, to the restoration of Israel there in Judah, and they stayed there. And there were many Jews that stayed in that land. In fact, there's still Jews today, descendant of the Jews from the Babylonian exile there in Iran, and they're Persian. And that's where they have. And so they would have understood the Old Testament. They would have understood the biblical record. We don't know if they were followers of Yahweh God or not, but they were very knowledgeable and they traveled there. So they would have crossed the Middle Eastern desert, which would have taken anywhere from four to six months. And so that star appeared to them long before they ever met Jesus, which I think is a really cool analogy for you and for me, because there's a light that shines long before we're looking for it, long before we encounter it. I know in my own life, God was giving me light. God was exposing me to light long before I ever received him. I kind of was kicking and screaming. You know, I wasn't excited about the light. It was a little glaring in my life. It was revealing things. I wasn't happy it was revealing, but it showed up months 
before I actually encountered Jesus. And that's what, that's what these wise men experienced. Maybe you've experienced that too. There was a back behind the story kind of light. And when they showed up, they worshiped him. Now, this is, I, I just got two thoughts I want to share with you today. Number one is the wise men sought the truth with sincerity. Now, I don't think that's, you know, stretching the truth on that one because you see that's an intense search for people to leave, for advisors to the king, for wise and wealthy, influential people to actually travel across the Arabian desert to get to what would later they would find out to be Bethlehem. That was an intense journey, required an incredible investment, and they were searching for the meaning of the star. And they understood something was going on with the birth of a king. And there's a big difference in our lives when we truly search and when we don't. And when we don't search, we kind of speculate, we kind of have some answers, we kind of go with our wisdom and our knowledge. And I've encountered a lot of people as pastor throughout my years that say they want to know God, but they just kind of come up with these ideas of God. And I think God is like this or God is like that. And I, after listening and loving and I go, I don't really care what you think because <laughs> I don't really care what I think. <laughs> if God's revealed himself, we should care about that. And what God says is he revealed himself through Jesus. And these guys were on a search to discover that. I think if you're on a search, if you're, you're seeing there's a lot of darkness and you're looking for light, you will find it in Christ if you search sincerely. Um, it, it, this is what the text says. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read that first 12 verses. And it says this. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Herod was not a very nice king. He was a very narcissistic king. He was a very manipulative king. He was an insecure king. He wasn't even a rightful king because he wasn't fully Jewish. He was an Amean. And yet he wanted to be the savior of the Jewish people. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? That was an you know, innocent question for them, right? They didn't know what they were getting into. We saw his star as it arose and we've come to worship him. What a great thing. We saw his star. We, we, we've been across the desert looking for him. Where is he? Obviously, you're the king. You know, right? We're going to go right to the point, man. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get the details. You must know about them. You're probably worshiping him too, right? Okay, I love that. They got their attention with the star, right? In fact, Herod didn't even pay attention to the signs. And they paid attention. And I know in my life, when I think about my life, God got my attention in some beautiful ways through people. Through a gal named Terry, a high school friend that I, I met on a snow retreat. And, and uh, she's passed away now. She had cancer and passed away a couple years ago. But she was influential in showing me the light and then some youth sponsors, Doug and Debbie, they live in Boise now. And they were down in Petaluma there and they were, had gone to Corbin and they were going to go on the mission field to England to plant churches and share the gospel. And at that season, they were the light that God was using to draw me to him. And it was an attractive warm light, which I kind of pushed back on, to be honest, because it was threatening because I just didn't want it. I was okay with what I thought was enough light. Well, it goes on to say King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So we would probably guess, and Bible scholars would say, there's probably a lot more than three wise people. 
Okay, we know there's three gifts, but there was probably a whole entourage, okay? It's like, you know, it's this massive convoy shows up. You can imagine with camels and you can imagine with security, because if they're going to carry wealth, they've got to have security. This massive entourage shows up and it disturbs the whole city. The whole city is like, what's going on? King Herod's deeply disturbed, especially by this news, right? And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, I thought this is interesting that Herod was deeply disturbed. He was distressed. Why? Because he was king, or he thought he was king, and he wanted to be the king. He wanted to be the savior of the Jewish people. He wanted to be adored by them. He built incredible structures. If you ever go over to Israel, the Middle East, you see these buildings. He built the temple, rebuilt the temple. It's amazing. Some of that's still remaining. Some of the Herodian stones are still there. You can go up and you can touch them. It's awesome. You could see his palaces in Caesarea Maritima on the coast and the Herodium. You can see the evidence of Herod 2,000 years later. The guy was amazing. He was insane though. And he was very, very, very insecure. And he was paranoid because he didn't want anybody to take over his job. He had his his sons killed. He had his favorite wife, by the way, that was his favorite wife, killed, okay, because they thought she was conspiring with one of her sons. He was insecure. On the time that everybody thought he died, he was down in Jericho, down in the pools there. They thought he died. Nobody mourned. And when he revived, he saw that. He had everybody killed. In fact, this was his edict, was that when he died, all of the influential leaders would be killed. So at least there would be mourning in Israel on his death, because nobody was going to mourn his death. But he wanted to be the king. And I think that's our problem, right, as human beings? We want to be God. We want to be ruler. We want to be ultimate. We want to be able to be our own savior. And he was greatly disturbed that Jesus showed up, which that was true of my life. When Jesus showed up, I was annoyed. Because I don't want, I don't want, I was, Jesus was messing up my nice little life. Because if I go that way, this is what I have to give up, right? Maybe you've encountered that. I know I did. And it says here, it says, in Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now stop for a moment. Think about it. They knew the prophecy, Right? Now, did they see the star? We don't really know, but the wise men saw the star. And, and whether, what, what was it, a you know, combination of planets or whatever, a special comet, asteroid? I don't really know, but we know this, that they saw it. But Herod didn't see it. If he saw it, he didn't acknowledge it. The religious leaders didn't look up and go, oh, something's going on in the heavens, right? In fact, they had their scriptures. They knew the answer. The answer was, well, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. But Herod didn't care. The, the religious leaders didn't go looking for Jesus. And it says here, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared, which we imagine is, is up to two years prior, okay? Because he has all the babies, the boys, two years and younger, slaughtered later in the story. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I don't know if they believed it. I don't know if they bought that story, but they took off. And it's ironic to me that when Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world was born, in a religious culture and community, nobody around him wanted to seek him. Nobody around him wanted to search. I mean, Herod it was six, four to six miles away, depending on the journey. That's not very far, right? 
I traveled further this morning to get here. I traveled about seven plus miles to drive here. That wasn't very far. That's like, you know, going down Home Depot, walking. Okay. And he didn't care to go that distance. The religious leaders who knew all of the knowledge of God didn't care to go search for Jesus. But these guys spent months on their journey. I see that all the time in folks. I mean, they, they, they want an easy, quick fix, you know, four to six miles, that's too much for me to walk. Yeah, you know, it's like, but wait a minute, if you're willing to travel four to six months, you know, metaphorically, are you going to be intense in your search? They sought the truth with sincerity. These guys sought the truth with sincerity. They went out of their way to seek Jesus. And they revealed a serious commitment on their part for search for truth. I think one of the most tragic things in life is when we go through life, any season, Christmas season, any season, and we don't ever have a moment where we wake up, where we look in the mirror, where we're confronted with our friends or whatever, and we just like, hey, you're not God. You're not the most important person in the world. You're not the most important person in the marriage. You're not the most important person in the family. You're not the most important person in the business or in the neighborhood or the school, whatever. You're not as important as you think you are. And if we never have that moment where we come face to face really with ourselves and see ourselves as God sees us, then we're not going to be willing to search because we're blinded by our own light, right? Our own so-called brilliance. I think it's so tragic when we go through the normal searching of life. Well, you know, why am I here? What is my purpose? All those things, which are beautiful questions to ask. Is there something bigger than my experience? If we go on with that search, God is so faithful. He's so good to draw us to himself. But if we fill it with our own so-called light, we're blinded by that light. The good news is this. While we're searching for God, if we could say it that way, God's actually been searching for us. God's actually been on a search to find us. In fact, it says that he knit us. I was just praying this with a friend earlier before service. He knit you together in your mother's womb. When you were being formed, he knew you. You were precious to him. You're not an accident. In fact, it says before the foundation of the earth, the world, before all of this came into, before let there be light. I mean, when everything was going on, God looked ahead. It says that he loved you and he called you to himself. So God's on a pretty good search for you. And so long before we ever look for him, he's been looking for you. And so when you're searching for a deeper purpose or meaning, the truth is that's God nudging you. Paul said this to the Athenians, the intelligent philosophers of the day, that God has put everything in motion because he's right there if you just look and see him. God gave the wise men a sign and the wise men end up worshiping Jesus with joy. I mean, we want to go further in the story, but they worshiped him with joy. Go to the next slide there. They worshiped him with joy. We know this because we see later on that, you know, the story where they're excited. But I want to tell you this. I remember my friends, Doug and Debbie, who were um, on loan before they were a missionary and uh, kind of in that interim, you know, doing deputation, getting ready. Uh, We saw, I saw John, my wife and I saw John Doherty. Uh, He and his wife or uh, Jonathan are going to be missionaries into uh, Eastern Bloc, formerly Eastern Bloc countries. And they're on that deputation right now. They're trying to raise money and supplies to get there. So when Doug and Debbie were doing that, they were friends that God brought into my life to point me to Jesus. Terry was a friend that pointed me to Jesus. 
last night, uh, my wife and Josiah and I sat at Old Orenco and we watched the little Christmas, you know, trains go by and vehicles go by on Lori Vizzini's patio porch up there. And she's so sweet. She had the sipping chocolate and, and uh, Wendy and Kevin Bender brought the brownies. And then there was, you know, just a little fire going on, controlled fire, by the way, and because uh, it's a wood porch. And, um, and we're sitting there and, and we're just talking. And, and Wendy was just telling me about the people in her life that brought her to Christ, a youth pastor. I mean, who are the stars, let's say it, in your life that are pointing you toward Jesus? Don't push them away. And if you've already received Christ, when was the last time you thought back to those stars? She mentioned, and we kind of talked about this, that she's thanked that guy many times throughout the years. And I've been able to thank Doug and Debbie. I thank Terry. I thought, I've been able to sit down and thank everybody. You were a star that God brought into my life to point me to Jesus. And if there's somebody doing that right now for you, don't push that away. They love you. They, they, they probably brought you, they're probably gonna bring you Christmas Eve. Like that's church twice in a week. That's like not even Christian, right? I mean, that's way overboard, right? You know, it's like, seriously? Yeah, Friday night, Christmas Eve services. We're gonna talk about Jesus. They're probably wanting you to come because they want you to see the light of Jesus. Well, we go on in the story here. It says, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, which sounds like it's not an ordinary star, right? Okay, looks like it's moving. It went ahead of them and stopped. Okay, now it's not moving at the place where the child was. And it says when they, were, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Uh, the New American uh, Standard, that's the translation I study out of, uh, uses these words. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Okay, that's four words to explain this. Literally, it means they were ecstatic. These guys had traveled that far. And when they finally show up at the house and they see the Christ child, they are like jumping up and down with joy. Exceeding great joy, right? And, and they were so excited. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother. Now, Jesus is not in a manger at this point. He's already a child, which is up to two years old, that word means. Okay, so he's still, they're still in Bethlehem, and they're there. And it says, he saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I, I love it. When's the last time we saw a baby and worshipped? I mean, I see babies all the time. I love babies. Babies come in. I want to hold babies. They're just awesome. They're, they're cute. Not long ago, I had one on here, you know, on my shoulder, and they're like, I might spit up. I'll go, that'd be awesome. You know how many years it's been since I've had spit up on my shoulder? Those were some fun days, you know? Don't be afraid of spitting up. That's awesome, right? Babies are cute, but you don't worship a baby, right? And if you do, something's weird, right? Now, they didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship the star. They didn't worship Joseph. They bowed down, which is a Bible word to say they worshiped. They knelt before and they worshiped him and they worshiped the child. It says they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and we can have a lot of conjecture about this, but it's important. Gold was a gift for royalty. Frankincense was used in the house of God, the temple of God, to worship him. And myrrh was an embalming fluid when you wrapped the body up to prepare it for burial. So he was a king, royalty for gold. You know, he was God and the frankincense for worship. And he's a savior because he'll die for our sins. Now, whether they knew any of that or not, we don't really know. But we look back upon it. 
And so I guess the question I would ask you, when you hear this story, which we've seen it and heard it so many times, right? I reflected back, I've been preaching the Christmas story the last 23 years. You know, it's awesome. And, and, but but it's, it's the same story, it doesn't change, right? And you got Matthew and Luke and you're done, all right? There's just two couple chapters here and there. But when you hear this, just go, yeah, your eyes roll. You go, I know that, I know that. Or, or when a pastor, a paid guy to do this, tells you about a star or about light, just go, yeah, that's your job. That's, you know, of course, you know, you're in it for motives or whatever. Of course, that's what you say. But what if God's really trying to get your attention? What if your friend is telling you? What if a family member is saying? What if you're watching online and you're just for the first time going, maybe someone's trying to get my attention. I'll say, yeah, God's trying to get your attention. You can, you can act like King Herod, just be, you know, fearful because he's going to ruin your life, you know, <laughs> which is not the truth. That's what I thought. He's going to change your life for the better. Or you could be like the religious leaders, indifferent, non-caring, just blow them off. That's easy to do in our culture. Or you can be like the wise men and you can sincerely seek him. And when you find him, you worship him with joy. You know, think about this. I'm just closing up. When you see the lights of Christmas, this week when you drive around, you see them in the neighborhoods or you go to different places. We're having a dinner tomorrow night. Grandmas are coming over. Extra friends are coming over. We're going to go out and we're going to see some Christmas lights. I hear Carlton's nice this time of the year, you know. When you see those, may you see the light in a different light. May you see it as an opportunity an invitation to worship Christ. And the reason is, is because we need a savior. You know, when God looked down upon our brokenness and sinfulness and all the stuff we've done to ourselves in the world, he didn't say, hey, I'm going to send a coach. I'm just going to coach you to get better because we don't need a coach. He didn't send a counselor. Oh, they got tons of problems. Let's send them to the counseling office, you know. No, he didn't send that. Coaches are great. Counselors are great. He didn't send a cheerleader. You know, yay, yay, keep going, you know. You can do it, I believe in you. Because, you know, cheerleaders are great. We don't need those. We need a savior. We need someone who, when we come to an honest moment and confess our sins, that he is able to save us. I love this. It closes with this verse. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. They went, a, they went home a different way. I love that. And they, that means they physically went home a different way. But I, I, I see a little bit more, a little bit more metaphor there for you and for me. This Christmas season, are you going to go home the same way? Or are you going to go home a different way? Are you going to have a moment where you go, I'm different. I'm going to go home a different route this season because I've seen Jesus. Yeah, sure, they physically went home a different way, but we can go home spiritually a different way. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Works won't do it. Church attendance won't do it. Goodness won't do it. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And so I want to put back up on the slide these two thoughts. These wise men sought the truth with sincerity. I hope and pray that's what you do this time of the year. 
And I hope you find him because if you seek him, you will find him because he's searching for you. And the wise men worship Jesus with joy. And I hope that's what you experience this Christmas season. See, um, I was telling my wife this last night. I, 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 I still get stuck on that purpose-driven life book, the Rick Warren thing, when he said, you were made by God and for God. And until you discover that, nothing else makes sense. I love that. You were made by God and for God. And if you're trying to fill that hole with anything else, it doesn't make sense. But when you come and see him, it all comes together. You know, we give a lot of gifts at Christmas time. And that's beautiful. But the gift was given that first Christmas. The gift of a savior in Jesus Christ. Born as a baby. Seems kind of odd that God would do that. That he'd be born as a baby and grow up as a man and live to about 30 years old and then die. Why didn't they just, God just send a full-grown Jesus and die on the cross and we're done, right? Because he wanted to be with us and he wanted to live with us and he wanted an opportunity for us to know him. And that is the gift of Christmas. And I hope you know him. And if you don't, I'm going to offer a little prayer here where you can know him and you can celebrate and you can worship him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to this earth. A baby, a God man, crazy concept, but fully God, fully human in the flesh so that he would live and he would teach and he would model by example, but most importantly, he would be God with us and he would die for us, our sins. God, draw people to yourself through this message this Christmas season. May it not be just about the lights and the presence, but may it be about what's behind the light and behind the presence, which is your very presence of Jesus in our lives. And God, if we're searching, if we're seeking, and we need to respond to that, I pray that anybody here in this room or online today or however long they're going to be watching this, they would just respond with a yes. I want to find you, God. You've shown your light in my life. God, come into my life and forgive me of my sin and be light in me. God, you have said that when we come to you and confess our sins to you, we declare that you're our Lord and Savior, that you will save us. You will change us from the inside out and you will give us eternal life. May that be the hope that we exhibit and share this season at Christmas. And if we've done that, God, may we be the people that share with others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.